Hello and welcome back to the Nowhere Office, wherever you are. With me, Julia Hobsbawm. And me, Stefan Stern. This is the podcast which looks at the world of work as it is, as it could be, should be, might be, with some of the leading thinkers and doers of the day. Well, we're joined today from Berlin by Frauke von Pollier. She's the Chief People Officer, also a member of the Executive Board of Fiesmann, which is a large German industrial business into refrigeration, heating controls and so on. Fourth generation family business in that great German tradition of world-beating companies that not everyone has always heard of, even if they do buy from them. And it's our pleasure to welcome Frauke to the NOAA office. She's got a lot to tell us about the changing world of work. We're especially lucky as well because Frauke is the European HRO of the year, the Human Relations Officer of the year, quite a big accolade. So we're delighted to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Stefan. Thank you so much, Julia, for having me. Now, are you in an office, a nowhere office? What? Where are you speaking to us from? <laughs> I am living in Berlin with my family, my husband, who happens to be my best friend, Constantine, and my two sons, Maxi and Frederick. So this is my home base, Berlin. And we also have an office from Fisman Climate Solutions. And today I decided to join the crowd and have my Friday afternoon together with the people at work. I mean, you're very much a people person, aren't you? When we spoke on the panel together at the Global Drucker Forum in Vienna, your comments were suffused with a really deep empathy, understanding and support for the people in your organisation. And I, I guess I wanted to ask you, how typical do you think your approach is in quite an AI-dominated world where quite a lot of chief people officers are really kind of number crunchers? Yeah, I would say the following. I think that sometimes people ask me, where does digital end and where does the humanity start? Or where does data and AI end and where does humanity start? I am a firm believer that in a true digitized world, it is actually more human-centric than before. And I would say it is very, yeah, it's almost uncommon that I am highly digital, highly data cruncher and using technology person with this firm belief that this actually makes us more human-centric. Why? Because I believe that the possibilities that technology gives us to truly think from a customer back, from human back, from people back, the chances that technology give us to work less on, let's say, the efficiency of processes and actually work more on the transformative things that really matter. This is how I want to use technology and data. So I'm probably one of the more data and people analytics and automation type person. <laughs> that that you probably can get in the in the people world so you don't think it's either or frauke that there are proselytizers for a, a sort of more people centric without the tech you think the tech is completely integral to doing the job now exactly i think if you use the tech tech as a tool and as an enabler it will enable us to do more transformative work i believe there's three types of work there's transactional 
consultative and transformative work. And the transactional work can be, in many ways, automized, can be done more efficient with technology. The consultative work, this is where you need also the human factor. And there is also something that where technology helps us. But the true transformative work, what we're looking for when it comes to new work, then I would say that is something where you really need the human factor. So technology enables us to do more of the transformative work. And that's why I'm all for it. While I'm at the same time deep, deeply believe that human centricity and work needs to be with the people at the center. Yeah, in uh, in Vienna, Frauke, you, you were, it was very striking what you said about teams and people. And I was I really enjoyed what you said. You, sometimes in business and in business journalism, we get very excited about one individual, one human being called chief executive. And we, we talk a lot about this person and we, we tell a, a lovely, you could say in German, a Märchen erzählung, you know, a kind of fairy tale about this hero figure. But you said, no, 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 I'm interested in teams. Perhaps you could say a bit more about your interest yes. in teams. I think that is something where I'm really, I'm really missing data and struggling with. So what we often do is, particularly when it comes to business performance and individual performance, yeah, this whole topic of how do we be, be more productive, how do we have a higher performance, we often think about there's business performance, like KPI type, whatever, more revenue, better NPS, whatever that is. And then you have basically the performance of an individual. Okay, how can we measure now? How can we incentivize the one person? What I'm really missing is, that I believe the actual performance comes through working in teams. So what I, what I find very difficult also for me at the moment to find out where are, are my, where are my most or highest performing teams and how can I actually enable and empower them and give them the right purpose and the right things to do so that they can stay together in a high performing teams. So what we often do is we look at the individual. Yeah, this one person wants to work from home or this one person is really good. So we need to develop the one person, but we don't see how they are so good because they're part of the team of us, people that are maybe just really helpful in the team, but maybe they're not a superstar in the team, but in as a whole, they're needed. And so this is something I really want to look deeper into to say, and that's also a topic of hybrid work and, 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 and remote work. We always talk about this, personal preference of the one person yeah and i think that's where we go wrong it's not about the organization wants something or the employer or the ceo and then the one person wants something i believe whatever the team needs and this is very hard to get good data on and it's it's even a lot of tech startups or in, in general um, technology they are always looking at the one talent but they don't look at the teams and that's something i'm very interested in isn't it right that the lean model of Toyota had a central feature that if anybody on the production line had any problem, production stopped? Yes. And that's sort of what you're describing, isn't it? That everybody counts and it doesn't matter if that person ends up being wrong, that the problem they thought was a problem wasn't a problem, but that they they actually interrupted production for that reason, because they're part of a team and the team might benefit yes. from what they're thinking and feeling. It, it's very, very good because also I work in an industry. Yeah, So we have 14,000 family members. Half of them work in production, logistics, you know, producing heat pumps, yeah, all, all types of climate solutions. And 
what we see in production, the way how we incentivize teams, the way how, let's say, workers work at one line to make a heat pump. There's maybe 10 people working on individual parts of making you know, this heat pump, bringing it to life, producing it. The way how we they think of teams and how we actually measure the performance of teams, I love it. When you look at sports, that's everyone gets it. It's by teams, yeah. So everyone gets it. There's soccer players and and the team. You know, it's always the team had actually you know plays Champions League. It's not the one person who moves up into Champions League. But when it comes to knowledge worker and all the work, you know, also Julia, what you know. We talked also in the Peter Trucker form. It was all about knowledge workers. Yeah, it was all about the preferences of the knowledge workers. And when you look at production, you talk teams. When you look at sports, you talk teams. But when it comes to knowledge work, for some reason, we always go back to the personal preference of the one person. And we have not managed in the knowledge worker space that same type of lean or you know productivity measurement in a good way, in a positive way, not in a not in a in an abusive or disruptive way, in a, in a good way. We have not managed this. And that's something that, yeah, I'm really, I really want to, in that sense, hack or tackle. And for your teams, the, the purpose of what you're doing, you know, you talk about climate solutions. This is uh, very modern. I, I want to say actuel, you know, it is a theme for today. And, Stefan is um, showing off his European accent like <laughs> mad for you, Frauke. You notice, I mean, he's saying, I love it. He's sounding more Germanic good. by the second. It's entirely in your honour. Stefan, I, 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 I crave your forgiveness. Do carry but on. The, but the purpose of what you're all doing, does that bring cohesion? Does that bring a sense of cooperation to your teams, wherever people are working? Because that's a very big goal, you know, climate solution. That's There's nothing bigger than that. Definitely having a strong why, having a strong purpose, and answers one question and that question is why do we exist beyond profit that's the that's a single question that a, pro, a purpose answered answers and i think if that question is answered and this is authentically answered not just with a slogan on a poster but actually as part of the business strategy as part of the brand as part of the culture if it's truly answered um, this is this is why we exist beyond profit. We create living spaces for generations to come. It's a very clear north star. Will we ever reach it in our lifetime? No, but it gives us a lot of meaning why we actually you know do things beyond you know making sure that we have it at the end of the year profits, and that definitely gives a lot of meaning and it helps bring people together. And in today's world, obviously, it also gives stability because there's something more than just my my life, yeah. Rauker, a couple of questions about sort of implementation and the complexity of hybrid working, which again, we we talked about at the Drucker Forum. So I think it's clear that it's added a layer of complexity, hasn't it, to your job? Yes, definitely. And I think it's, it's almost an, an added layer of complex conversations, yeah. So because it's not a zero one answer, yeah, come to office, come not to office or something. It is a, exactly to, to our point. It has to do with personal prof preferences, introverted, extroverted, having, you know, children at home, not children, having an office at home where I can, you know, or having a space at home where I can work or not. So it's a lot of personal preferences, which is one layer of, um, you know, that private life comes into the work discussions. You have another layer of what we just discussed, the layer of teams. 
So what does the team need? Yeah, let's take, for example, our example in our industry. If you are actually working with teams that are in the production and then you, you, you have to work with a lot of hardware technology, you cannot say just, you know, kind of working remote. You have to actually make sure you're also close to the hardware. That's the team element. And then the third element is the element of the collective, like the organization, like kind of is there a momentum? Is there a culture How do you actually build culture if you're not physically together or only partly and all this type of... So I think that's the complexity of the conversations we are having. I personally, I must say, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy a little bit of chaos. Chaos is a, is, is, is a brave word to use, but I think it's probably <laughs> an accurate one. I know Stefan's longing to come back in, but I did have a second question apropos the complexity, which is... I, I think you make a very good point about teams, but there is a lot of individual pushback from the CEO class. You yes. know, I've just come back from Davos. I've just given an interview in London, you know, in response to yet another generational character. Let me put it that way. Let me not be more gender specific than that. Let me not be, but, you know, there is a sort of generational Right. There's a generational character usually either closely associated with the leadership of an organization or the leader of a multinational organization who is in fact quite resistant to hybrid working. So Tony Danker, the head of the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, which represents about 200,000 businesses, said that most bosses secretly want their workers back at the office. So is that, I don't necessarily mean within Feastman, but is that the elephant in the room that there's a disconnect between the individual preference of the C-suite and the individual preference of workers? I don't think so, because I think it's for me, how do you say it? It's, uh, that's what I meant with the complexity of conversation. There's just another element of factor to think of. I'm not, how do you say it? I, do you find yourself being a peace broker, Frauke? Do you find yourself having to do lots of back-channel discussions with a departmental head saying, can't stand it, they're trying to come in flexibly, I need them in, and then you, I mean, are you doing shuttle diplomacy? Well, what I think it has to do with comes back to the basic aspect of trust and, and habit and routine. So what I do have is a constant, disc, or like creating understanding that it has a lot to do with your um, view on the world and view on humanity. And that's maybe where you where you said in the beginning, I'm so human centric. I'm very, you know, business oriented and performance oriented. But my general view on humanity is that people want to create something, that they want to do a good job, that they want to work in collective, in teams. I don't generally think that it is a matter of CEO preferences against the individual preference. That is not my, that is, that's not the fight I'm fighting. What I try to do, it's not my battle. I'm not even going there. I am just thinking, okay, if the, all these different views happen, how do I make a conversation to actually now bring something new into the world? That's why I, we are saying that it has to be, you know, it has to be inclusive because what, 
what I, what I don't want to get boiled down to in a little in a little small mindedness discussion, which where the individual is just as small minded if they just want their own preferences as the CEO is small minded if they want their back. It's a small minded discussion. I want to have a big discussion, which is the discussion of how can we make work and better so that all of us yeah, are more productive. And that means for me, we have to have the conversation, what is best for the teams. And I think that the CEO wants to have happy employees and, and good KPIs. And I also believe the people want this. Yeah. So I want to bring them together in a way that it is inclusive. And I said this also in the Peter Trucker forum, this individual discussion on the individual preference versus the CEO wants them all back. It only works for the knowledge workers. This in itself also something I, I really say to, to our people. And, and then, then he is also in the room. Then he's in the room also working at Fisman. So the other day I was having, we had a huge all hands there. Everyone could stream in all 14,000 people. And so basically there was these questions, exactly these questions. How much hybrid work can we do and not do? And what are the rules? And then I said, you know what, if you are in this absolute privileged position to can to choose when you can to work, uh, come to the office, not in the office. If you have such a privileged position, I want you to understand that privilege comes with responsibility. So your responsibility to work with your colleagues who cannot choose because they're on the road installing heat pumps in the middle of the night during Christmas because it was the Christmas all hands or your colleagues who have to come you know, on a Saturday to do a shift in production, you as a privileged crew have to take the responsibility that it works. And this is for me a good, good conversation. And I say the same thing to the CEO who's highly privileged as I do to the individual knowledge worker who's also highly privileged. So I don't think really, um, I have a different battle I'm fighting. Does that make sense? Yes, I, I, I think as a successful German business, you start with an advantage, which you've never suffered from presenteeism in the way that some of us perhaps in the UK and other countries did. I think if I understand it correctly, it was not seen as efficient or successful to be late in the office, to have your jacket on the chair and so on. And people say, well, why are you there so late? Why haven't you finished? Why can't you go home? So I'm, I'm guessing that a successful company like yours, you didn't have an, a problem with presenteeism. You were already more reasonable about working hours. Both, yeah. I would also say that Germans have this kind of tendency that hard work pays off and it's good, you know, long hours are seen as that you are working hard and that is actually a good thing. I think that we have an element of this. We are hard workers in Germany. Yeah? But generally speaking, I think exactly to your point, there needs to be a certain level of maturity and that in the in the company. And I believe that purpose that we are all moving towards, yeah, bringing actually, you know, creating living spaces for generations to come. What we do, yeah, building heat pumps for the energy transition. This is this is already, you know, getting people behind this brings also maturity. And with that maturity, you can also, I think, expect a maturity in these conversations. Not sure of that. Um, Falco, have you been with Feastman all your career or did you, where were you before this current uh, business? 
I actually have been in a lot of really great places and very different ones. So I actually worked for Salando, which is an online retailer, basically one of the few hypergrowth companies in Europe. So I worked for them in, in for seven years when they started with 250 pe- people and then also as a chief people officer. And then when I left after seven years, we were 14,000 people. And this was a hypergrowth environment, a startup environment, lots of young people. Yeah. So definitely also purely digital player. So no, no industry like, like logistics, of course, but not. Um... And then I worked for a big corporation, SAP, which is, I think, worldwide known and now for family companies. So I think my references are very different startup, corporate and family. And a lot of things that I believe in, I do believe they actually work in all environments. Do you think, Brauke, that the job of the chief people officer, Stefan alluded to the fact that it it has also been called human resources. One of my girlfriends says rather impolitely, it's human remains. That was a chapter in my book (laughs) to be disparaging. But but, I mean, how how is it evolving? I would suggest it's becoming one of the most central defining functions inside an organization, the people. Yeah, I, I, I used to say you do the job because out of passion, but nowadays you can also make some money with it. So definitely it has it has increased <laughs> in, its, in its value and reputation. So I think it, it's gotten really popular. And what's very interesting, so if anyone is listening, I think it's a really great, a great job to aspire to. I think for many, many years, a lot of people who were quite ambitious and successful, they would rather go in sales or technology. Engineering obviously was also a big one product in the last years, supply chain, any type of these things. So I think for many years, the HR world was, I think, more people who, you know, kind of, yeah, I like people, I want to work with people. And they were less maybe of business data type mindset. I also studied business, did my MBA in, in Spain, had a more of a, for a long time, I worked as a consultant, basically helping people to move basically from offline to online, different types of setting. But then I actually moved into recruiting and I saw the business value that recruiting can have the business, yeah, getting the right talent at the right place at the right time, doing the right things. And that's where I started to love the people space you will rarely hear me say HR because until today, yeah, also to your girlfriend's point, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm working in HR. I literally, I literally work in business, making sure that on the people, culture and organizational side, we are moving towards a great business success. But I do this to, to your point, Julia, in the beginning with a, with a love for people, yeah, for love for humanity um, and I think that's why it's gotten quite popular, the job. Is that partly because it was really in the front line when the pandemic hit? You know, you've got a pretty large footprint of people that you're looking after and the pandemic um, needed handling for every organisation around the world that had to stop working and yet carry on working and work differently and pivot differently. So that prominence of HR, I, I, I'm right, aren't I? I mean, what was the pandemic like for you and your, you have a young family. Did you work nonstop through it? Yes, I worked nonstop. <laughs> I worked nonstop. And I think that layer, so the pandemic was one layer and there's another layer of the scarcity of talent. 
which then makes the whole topic of reskilling, recruiting, upskilling, retention of talent so business relevant. So I think these two aspects, the pandemic plus the scarcity of talent made the job all of a sudden very, very high in demand. And I'm happy about it. Of course, I'm happy about it because I believe it has always been, it, it should, it, this importance was always there. But it also means for all of us that working in the people space, we need to step up. Yeah, We need to step up our game to make sure we work on the transformative work. And that's why I also believe we need to step up our game in really using technology and understanding you know, AI and, and what it means to have your processes in the cloud and all these things. So I think it's important to, to also step up the game when it comes to the people business. Well, Frauke, we, we don't want you to work nonstop now because it's, it's Berlin, it's nearly the weekend, and you've been very <laughs> generous with your time and all sorts of pleasures lie in wait for you, I hope, in that wonderful city. But thank you so much for being so generous with your time and enlightening us today here in the NOAA office. It's my pleasure. Have you been to Berlin, Stefan? Yeah, I have verwandt there. Yeah. He's just well, longing to speak German. This isn't the Nowhere Office. This is the language lab. <laughs> should we come and do a Nowhere Office special from Wiesmann in Berlin? Is that oh, should we make that would, happen? You would love it. We have the most beautiful co-working spaces. There is a lot of family companies that also you know join the co-working space and. Berlin has really gotten the best coffee places. So I actually am over 12 years in Berlin and I became a coffee snob, which I'm not proud of, but I am. So I can. Oh, I'm a coffee snob and I'm really you, proud of it. Get you the best coffee in Berlin. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your generosity. Have a good weekend and speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. You're doing a great work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stefan. Wiedersehen. So, Stefan. Frauke is at the absolute top of her game. And I have to say, for all the many naysayers who do talk about human remains rather than human resource, she made me think that there's quite a lot of life in the role of chief people officer. I thought she was really illuminating and, and actually pretty inspiring. Yes, I think that role, it's what you make of it. And you've got to be brave, but you've got to come up with answers. Line managers who are busy, anxious, they don't want naysayers, they don't want the business prevention units, as Alan Layton used to call it, as the, they want people who can make things happen and who are open to ideas. And with Frauke, clearly, that's exactly what you get. She's interested in people. She lives up to the job title. She wants to make things happen. She wants to try new things. And that's what we really need from the HR people end of the business. We don't always get it, unfortunately, but Frauke is a great role model. The big takeaway from from what she said that I have is this point about teams, that the white collar world, the knowledge worker world often overemphasizes the individual, the cult of individuality, not just in terms of leadership, but in terms of individuals who come into teams. And she's she really makes a very powerful case for that, doesn't she? That it isn't about um micro patterns of one individual in a team it's especially when it comes to hybrid actually it's about performing for everybody and with everybody and letting the new shifts around work and hybrid respond accordingly yes and it's also i think something to do with ownership as well and what the incentives are and that's a family business in the fourth generation they don't actually have to have a ceo who's out there giving sound bites, cheering up investors every 12 weeks with amazing forecasts and wonderful numbers. They just steadily get on with it and just get a bit better all the time. Actually, almost in that slightly 
Japanese continuous improvement way. And that's really all about people as well. It's about involving people and making the most of what you've got. Well, we are joined by another brilliant and inspiring woman on the program next week, the author and workplace consultant, Gabriella Braun, whose book, All That We Are, has made a big impact on the scene of looking at this post-pandemic moment from the perspective of people and people's emotions. But for now, from me, Julia Hobsbawm. And me, Stefan Stern. You've been listening to, and thank you for listening to, The Nowhere Office, a fully connected production, music by Julian Brejean, and find us in all the usual places, especially on Twitter at The Nowhere Office. Bye now. Bye.